If you want warmth, you must stand near the fire. If you want strength, you must withstand the weight. Like raw metal, through force and flame, we are tested. As the hammer falls, we are shaped, bent, made into something new. From scrap to substance, from crude to crafted, with every strike formed and made with purpose. If you want faith, you must be forged, refined by fire. Well, good morning. Welcome to church this morning. My name is Chase. I'm the family pastor here at Rolling Hills. It's an honor to be with you this morning as we continue our series called Forged. And if you've been with us over the past um, few weeks, we've been studying through the life of a guy named Joseph. Now, not New Testament Joseph, right? We're talking about Old Testament Joseph, chapter 37 through 50 Joseph, Jacob's son Joseph, brother of, 13, uh, of 11 Joseph. That's the Joseph we're talking about today. And as we look at his life, what we've noticed is this idea of being forged quickly begins to surface. And, and for me, this, this series has really brought up a lot of good memories for me, actually. It's, it, it reminded me of my grandfather. My grandfather passed away a couple years ago. But my grandfather retired from Ford Motor Company. And along the way, he picked up a few skills in, in metal working. And, and I got to learn some of those skills and the way you work with metal. And he, he actually gave me uh, some knives um, that he did not complete. And it's my task to complete them. So this is me today saying, like, you're holding me accountable now. I have to complete these now. And, and, and so hopefully the next time I get up here and speak that I'll, I'll have some of those done. But, but he gave those to me to, and it was just a reminder for me, um, this idea of, of forging. But he also, there's different ways to work with metal. There's, there's obviously cutting metal. There's, there's casting and there's forging. Let's casting for a second. Casting, if you don't know, you form a, a mold, a cast, you heat metal, it liquefies, you pour that into the cast, into the mold, it cools, you break it apart, and there it is. You kind of know what the outcome's going to be before you even get started, and forging is much different, right? Forging, you heat up a piece of metal, you wait till it gets red hot, and then you take the piece of metal, and you take a hammer, and you begin to forge it to what you would want it to look like. The process is a lot harder you see, oftentimes we go through seasons of our faith where it's casting. Casting is where it's maybe easier to take steps of faith, right? It's easier because you, you know that if you take this step, you will get this outcome. But whenever we, we go through a series, a, a series of forging, this is, this is a difficult. Maybe you've been through this in your faith journey where you feel like you've been through the ringer. You feel like you've been really just beat up. And instead of you feeling like God is for you, feel, you really feel like God... God is not for you, and God may be against you because of all the things that's going on. But what we've been talking about over the summer is that oftentimes deep wounds produce deep faith. Deep wounds produce deep faith. You might be in a season right now where you feel like nothing seems to make sense. No matter what you do, you feel like you're fighting an uphill battle. And what we've been asking the question is this, could it be that you are being forged? 
Could it be that you are being forged? You see, Joseph has a life that has been put through the fire. He took a beating. Nothing seemed to go his way. But it, with every detour of life, he seemed to have this defiant faith about him. Like a faith that we all long to have. A defiant faith that, that said, even though I will. Even though, God, this has happened to me, I, I will follow. Even though I don't understand the circumstances, I will follow you. So last week, we kind of took a shift. We've been like, this has been forging process. We're like, man, this guy can't seem to get a break. But, but last week, we really began to shift to, to where he's beginning to get a break. And if you remember last week, the cupbearer uh, who was in prison with Joseph, uh, we don't know why the cupbearer was in prison, but it was Pharaoh's cupbearer sent to prison for some reason. While in prison, the cupbearer had a dream. Joseph interprets that dream. You remember? Joseph interprets the dream. Cupbearer ends up being released and going serving Pharaoh again. And he forgets all about Joseph. And Joseph's waiting in prison, waiting for this guy to come get him out of prison for the fact that he interpreted his dream. He didn't. And so he sat in prison for two years and Pharaoh had, had a dream. Pharaoh had a dream. And nobody could interpret that dream. And he was in agony. Cupbearer saw Pharaoh in agony. And he said, oh, wait, I remember. There was a guy in prison. I remember that guy. He interpreted my, my dream. And so what happens? Pharaoh called for Joseph to come. He cleans him up, shaves, clean, nice hair, and gives him some clothes. And enters the royal courts with Pharaoh. And, and he begins to, to lay out this this dream, this interpretation of the dream. And it was simply this, that, that Egypt was going to be um, in, in abundance for seven years. They were going to have a, a bunch of crops, and, and it's going to be more than what they could count. And then, after that seven years, there are going to be seven more years of famine. Seven years where they're not going to have any crops. There's not going to see anything produced from the seven years. And so Joseph really lays out the next 14 years, a plan for the next 14 years. So you need to store for seven years so that you can be ready for the next seven years. And Pharaoh's like, hmm. Like, yeah, we need somebody that's discerning and wise. Kind of like this. Oh, wait. And then he says in verse 39, chapter 41. God has made all this known to you, and you are discerning and wise. You shall be in charge of my palace. And where we're going to start today is, is verse 41. Verse 41, and this is what it says. So Pharaoh said to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Finally, we're coming out of some pretty difficult times. But my question is, wait a minute. Joseph was just in prison. Why in the world would Pharaoh allow this to happen? Now, we love these type of stories because it's rags to riches, had nothing, and now he's the C CEO of the, of the company. Like, we love these type of stories, but we're wondering right now, Pharaoh, why would you allow this to happen? He was just a prisoner. Why would you promote him? Because Pharaoh saw something in Joseph. He wasn't just a smart guy. He was a, he was a guy that was connected to God. How do we know that Pharaoh thought that? Verse 39 again. God made all this known to you, Pharaoh said. He recognized that Joseph answered to a higher power. And because of this, Joseph was not willing to compromise his integrity, compromise what he believed. How do we know this? How do we know that this is what Pharaoh thought of Joseph? Because in every position that he held, he was consistent. He was a man of integrity, man of honesty, whether he was a slave or whether he was in prison or second in command. He was a, he was a guy who really believed what he believed. 
even when there were accusations about him. Remember a few weeks ago, Pastor Jeff kind of led us down this journey of this accusation uh, that Potiphar's wife had against Joseph, wanted, wanted him to come sleep with her. Joseph's like, no. And then, the, then she accused him for something he didn't do. That's why he went to prison in the first place. Like we wonder in that moment, well, why didn't Egyptians, I mean, this is a Jewish boy who was a slave and a prisoner. Why did they just kill him on the spot for the accusations? Because they knew there was something special about this guy named Joseph. And they probably knew that there was something crazy about Potiphar's wife. So we look at this idea of leadership today through the life of Joseph, leadership principles that we can pull out of his life no matter where you are on your faith journey today. And some of you in the room, you've been a, you've been a Christ follower for 50 years. Some of you have been a Christ follower for three months, and some of you have come into the room this morning, and you're sitting in the seats, and you're just trying to figure this thing out. But you, you're just trying to discover who Jesus is. And, my, and I do believe this. I believe that God has a plan and a purpose for you sitting in these seats today. So we'll, let's do this before we jump into verse 42 and we jump into our text. Let's pray together um, and ask God to bless our time together. Father, we're incredibly thankful for you and our time together today. God, my prayer has always been and will always be that we will forever be changed by your words, that it would, would not return void. God, your words are special. And when we read your words, that's, that's, that's what you're speaking to us. So God, let us not miss it. In Jesus' name, amen. Verse 42. Then Pharaoh took a signet ring from his finger and put it on Joseph's finger, and he dressed him in robes of fine linen and put gold chain around his neck. 43, he made, uh, made him ride in the chariot as his second in command, and people shouted before him, Make way! Thus he put him in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Let's just pause here for, for a second, and let's just acknowledge uh, this, that the position does not make you a good leader. Like, we know a lot of people in positions of leadership that are just not good leaders. They don't lead with integrity. But with every position that Joseph held, he was a guy with integrity. He consistently made the right decisions, whether a slave or a prisoner. And let's just not mistake this. As we begin le talk leadership today, you don't need a certain role or responsibility in order to be a leader. Like whatever arena of influence that you have, you have leadership potential. Mom, dad, brother, sister, employer, employee, a student. You have leadership pot potential, and let's not make that, that mistake today. Here's the idea of leadership. Leadership is leading people in a direction. That seems simple, right? Like people are following me. I have a destination, and that's where I'm leading people. But, but Joseph's leadership was way different than that. Because Joseph, Joseph was not only leading people in a direction, he was leading people in God's direction. See, God, you see, Joseph wasn't just a leader, he was a godly leader. See, here's the running definition of godly leadership. Godly leadership is moving people onto God's agenda. A God's agenda. What we do know, even from the 13 years of, of his life leading up to, to this moment. See, he was 17 when God kind of did this crazy journey of his, and now, 13 years later, he finds himself in this. Here's what we do know. Leadership is developed and not discovered. 
leadership is developed and not discovered. You see, to be a leader, there has to be some sort of formation that happens. Leadership just doesn't happen. God uses the circumstances of our past in order to prepare us for the leadership moments of our future. See, godly leaders require character formation. None of us are perfect. And you may be come in the room this morning, you're like, man, I'm pretty close. Hey, do me a favor. Turn to your neighbor and ask them. <laughs> Oh, better yet, if you're married in the room, why don't you turn to your spouse? You don't even have to say anything. You just look him in the eye. And you'll know. Like we all have character flaws. It's part of our sinful nature. And what God is trying to do in the formation process, he's trying to sanctify us, which means to be made holy, which means to be, be set apart. So he's trying to set us apart for his work. And so uh, this is what Joseph, he's been in the sanctification process of being forged to be a great leader. Just think if he had been promoted to governor. God could have done it at 17. Are you are ready. Here you go. He would have been a terrible leader, an awful leader. He wasn't ready yet. God had to go through this period of formation. Every leader, whether you like it or not, have to, go, have to go through this character formation. Leaders who skip this step, listen, listen. Leaders who skip this step are only half-baked cakes. Here's what Jesus says. I'll tell you the solemn truth. Unless a kernel of wheat falls unto the ground... And dies, it remains by itself alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. In other words, unless a leader suffers and dies to himself, he cannot produce God's expected result. See, God has to change his leaders before he can use them as agents of change in the world. This process has to happen, it has to be the case. So then we, see, we move on. Verses 45 through, or 44 through 45, we see Pharaoh giving authority. He also gives a wife. And we begin to see Joseph being a hard worker at this point in time. And so we go to jump down to verse 46. Joseph was 30 years old when he entered the service of Pharaoh the king. And Joseph went out to Pharaoh's presence and traveled throughout Egypt. During the seven years of abundance, the land produced plentifully. Joseph collected all the food produced in those seven years of abundance in Egypt and stored them in the cities. In each city, he put food grown in the fields surrounding it. Joseph stored up huge quantities of grain, like the sand of the sea. It was so much that they actually stopped recording it. They stopped recording. So Joseph went to work. He got busy. He, he, everything was preparing for him for this moment, but Joseph knew something else. Joseph knew that he's got to prepare for the next 14 years. You see, here's what godly leaders do. Godly lead, leaders prepare for the future. Godly leaders prepare for the future. And the question that I have to ask ourselves today is, what are you doing right now to prepare for moments that are the most painful, the most anxious, the most stressful? What are you doing today? Like, it's easy for us to think about the here and now, Right? It's hard for us to even think about what we're going to eat for, for lunch today. But that, I believe that's what part of this leadership focus is. It's easy to do this in our businesses. We have five-year business plans. We have 10-year business plans. But what about, what about, what about your home? What about leadership in your home? What about a vision for your family? You see, the scripture says, Proverbs 29, 18, where there is, where there is no vision, the people will perish. 
You see, here's what I believe, that I believe that if we can get a vision for our families for the future, we won't live for temporary satisfaction. We'll live for long-term joy. See, can we get a vision for great marriages, a career that honors God, or a rich devotional life, or kids who are passionate about Jesus? Can we get a, a, a vision for a preferred future? You know, there was a recent study or a survey done with millennials who have graduated high school, and, and these, actually, these millennials actually stay connected to faith. These didn't leave. We hear these statistics up for 70, 75% of, of students who are connected to the church like leave their faith after, after high school. But these are studies or survey done for those who actually hung around. They were like, well, what are the two major factors that made a biggest difference of you staying connected to faith after high school? And this was the two things. The two things was it. They had great parents and their parents had a great marriage. Can we get a vision for great marriages? Can we get a vision for great parenting? Not perfect by no means. Not perfect, but intentional. I believe that vision requires us to be intentional. Are we preparing for the future? Let's not say, when, I'll get to it when. Whenever I have time. I'll serve whenever I have more time. I'll plug into a community of people who's going to help me take my next step of faith when... When my kids get in middle school, Joseph prepared for the future, and I believe God's calling us to do the same thing. And as we continue to talk about this idea of family, we see a major event that happens in the life of Joseph, like something that transformed his life completely from that point on. Verse 50, before the years of famine came, two sons were born to Joseph. He had kids. Like, can anybody relate to that one? Like, everything changes when you have kids, right? They, they, he, had, he had kids. And so this is what Scripture says. The firstborn son named Manasseh and said, It is because God has made me forget all my trouble and all my father's household. The second he named Ephraim. And he said this, he said, It is because God has made me fruitful in the land of my suffering. Godly leadership, guys, begins at home. It begins at home. I, I can still remember the first time I brought home, we, Courtney and I brought home our daughter Kit from the hospital. Like, uh, you remember that time? You remember that, that, that feeling that you get? You remember driving 30 miles, miles an hour on the interstate and people thought you were crazy? Like, I, rem I still have a hard time with the car seat today, but I remember that first feeling that, that it felt when you're trying to get everything secure and safe, and you're driving down the road, you white-knuckle. By the way, if you're driving back from Nashville and you see somebody white-knuckle in their steering wheel, don't make fun. Just pray for them. <laughs> but in that moment, here's what begins to go through your mind. Because it went through my mind. You begin, there's a lot of weight and responsibility that happens for a parent. Here's, here's why. Because you begin to think for yourself. You, you begin to think about your hopes and your dreams for your child. And your hopes and your dreams are determined by less about what they have and more about who they become, right? And you want them to be generous. You want them to be kind. You want them to be loving. You want them to be compassionate. Of course you want them to be successful. But then, after some time, you get in a routine right? Life doesn't slow down. And that's why we use this phrase in family ministry all the time. It's just a phase. Don't miss it. Because really, 
it's gone. And so we have to make the most of our opportunities now. And so we use that phrase all the time, but that's the reality. And we can lose sight that our jobs are, is first to be a godly leader of our household. And we forget these three things. We forget that they have to see us worship. We, they have to see us worship. They need to see you loving God. How is that played out in your home? Number two, godly leaders also want other godly leaders in your kid's life. I get that. That's why every week we come in here and we're like, we're like, say, don't miss a Sunday. Don't miss a Sunday because we have incredible programming for your kiddos that they're going to engage. The, 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 the reason why we have that incredible program is because it's simply to partner with you as a parent, as their primary spiritual leader. But you want another voice in their lives. You don't want to wait till they're 16 years old and have a bad attitude and say, hey, what do you do? You want somebody else speaking some truth into their lives that are going to be saying the same things that you're saying, but they're going to be saying it in maybe in a different way. And you're like, I've said it. How come you don't get it? Do you remember that? It's frustrating, right? It really is frustrating. But how do I know that? It's because I had great parents and I was 16 years old. And there came a time where I was 15 and 16 years old where... Parents just wasn't my first option. Like, I needed a Mark Taylor. I needed a Leroy Clark as my small group leaders to come and just really encourage me and build up my faith. We need that in our kiddos' lives. And here's the thing. You have an opportunity to set that up right now. Number three, we forget that we have to teach them to love people well. It's our job. This concept of godly leadership, really, I became really aware of it in our home whenever we first got married. Is that I was already in ministry. I was doing ministry. Man, I had a ministry. I was, part, I was, I was uh, uh, invested in a group of people. I was pastoring a group of people. They were invested in me. And then here came Courtney. That my wife comes along. And so I had to balance this idea, well, ministry, and then my wife, home life, ministry. And somebody came to me and really shook me up and said, hey, you don't, you're, not, you're not getting it. Like, your first ministry, your first calling, your first priority is to your home, to your family, to lead them really well. See, I never want it to be said of me down the road for my kids I don't want my kids to say, yeah, I like my mom. I like my dad. I just don't want to be like him. From these verses, we see that we also see Joseph naming his kids. And there's something significant in the naming of your kids, is it not? Like, Joseph names his kids not just for their sake. I believe he names his kids for his, for his sake. It's a constant reminder of all that God has brought him through. And this is not in your notes, but I, you can jot this down. Godly leaders don't dwell in the past. They don't dwell in the past. Don't dwell in the past, but live as though you have a here and now and prepare for the future. We can easily let the bitterness of our past seep into, creep into the possibilities of our future. See, even in naming of Joseph's children, this was a constant reminder that God had a much bigger plan for, this, for his life. Then something happened. Um, um, it happened. The thing that they've been preparing for the whole time, it happened. But something else happened along the way. Let's read. 53. The seven years of abundance in Egypt came to an end. There it goes. And the seven years of famine began. 
just as Joseph had said. There was a famine in all the other lands, but in the whole land of Egypt there was food. Verse 55. When all Egypt began to feel the famine, the people cried out to Pharaoh for food. Then Pharaoh told all the Egyptians, go to Joseph and do what he tells you. When the famine had spread all over the whole country, Joseph opened up the storehouses and sold the grain to the Egyptians for the famine was severe throughout Egypt. Don't miss this. 57. And the whole world came to Egypt to see Joseph. The whole world came to Egypt to see Joseph, a former slave, a prisoner, former prisoner. They're knocking on his doorstep. And here, here's what's blaring to me as I read through. And I, I go to the Apostle Paul. Ephesians chapter 3 verse 20 is blaring to me. By his mighty power at work within us, we are able to do far more than we would ever dare to ask or even dream of. Infinitely beyond our highest prayers, desires, thoughts, or hopes. Joseph could have no way predicted the choices that he would make would have a direct impact on the world. Not just a family, not just a community, but the whole world. See, keep in mind, the journey started with a dream. He was 17 years old. Go back to chapter 37. He was 17 years old. God gave him a dream that would lead them down this painful path, right? But this dream led him to love God more and cause him to be more faithful to God. This, this dream gave him a vision for the future. The, here's what I believe. The thing that, that God oftentimes gives us to build our faith is a dream. When God wants to do a work in your life, he'll give you a dream about who you are, about what he wants you to do, and about how he wants you to impact the world. We can look at all these incredible leaders of, of history, and we can know this to be true. Nelson Mandela remained steadily devout to democratic ideal, ideals and gave his life to upheld, uphold the, the dream of a South African free society. Mother Teresa, she lived a quiet life. She was humble. She was meek. She was a missionary comforting the poor, the dying, and the world's most unwanted. And her life model, motto was simple. She said this, At the end of our lives, we will not be judged by how many diplomas we received, how much money that we've made or how many great things we have done, we would be judged by, I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. And I was naked and you gave me some clothes. Martin Luther King Jr. mobilized racial equality in the segregated American South. And through nonviolent protests and influence a nation to believe that all people are created equal. See, on his famous march to Selma to Montgomery, it led to the Voting Rights Act of 1965, and, and he led him to, to say this in a speech. I have a dream that my four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, right, but the content of their character. An abolitionist and an advocate for women's suffrage, Susan B. Anthony, campaigned for equal rights for American citizens up upholding the 13th, 14th, and 15th Amendment. You see, she worked tirelessly to outlaw slavery and seek full citizenships for, for races and genders. Then you have Corey Ten Boom. She said this, famously said this, God does not have problems. He has plans. The Boom family dedicated their lives to help hundreds of Jewish survivors escape the Holocaust during World War II. From them... 
to Joseph. In order to fulfill a dream that God had within them, it required courage. See, here's, here's the next thing. Godly leaders are courageous. Not that leaders who don't experience fear, don't experience fear, but in the face of fear, you take steps of faith. In the face, face of fear, in the face of a tough decision or a tough situation, we look at all these people throughout history, and, and they, had a, they had a dream as leaders to, to make an influence, to make some sort of impact. They didn't know how big it was going to be, but all they knew that in order for them to make any kind of impact, they had to take a step of faith. It required some sort of advancement in order to make something happen, and it didn't come without its pains and its bruising. You see, that kind of faith says this, even though I will. Even though I will. See, godly leaders are courageous. We see this in the life of Joseph, how he continued to show integrity. But throughout Scripture, we have this we have this, God paints this picture for us to be strong and courageous and not be afraid. We look at a guy like Joshua, and Joshua 1.9, it says this, Have I not commanded you, this is God speaking to Joseph, be strong and courageous, or Joshua, be strong and courageous, do not be afraid, do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. See, here's what is crazy. I think this is the best part. Because, because, because of Joseph's courage along the way, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob was spoke about in the royal courts, which had never been done before that we know of. Like the, the Pharaoh actually spoke the words. The, the people looked at Pharaoh and thought, man, that guy is a god. That guy is above everybody else. He didn't even believe what we believe. In fact, the Egyptian uh, religious system was so complex. It was polytheistic, meaning it, was, it had lots of different gods represented. Humans can be God. Animals can be God. And then he paused for a second. We see that he's speaking the name of God of Israel, the God of Abraham, the God of Jacob. You see, he knows that this man is a man of God. He acknowledges that Joseph knows what God says, knows what God will do, that God keeps his promises, and that he's filled with the Spirit. Now, how is this played out in our workplace or our schools? How is this played out in our workplace and our schools? Maybe you're in a situation like this when you're, you're in an environment that doesn't lend itself well to Christian values or Christian ethics. And it's frustrating to you, but you are there. And remember, your job is only a job until you see it as an opportunity. Your job is only a job until you see it as an opportunity. We have people in our workplaces, our communities, our neighborhoods that are on the fence about whether to trust God with their lives or not. And we have a high calling to love them well, to encourage and to share our story with Jesus with them. Here's what courageous leadership does 100% of the time. I'm telling you, 100% of the time. It makes God the point of emphasis. That's it. And Joseph's rise to a position was ultimately God's plan that he crafted long ago. And because of Joseph's faithfulness, he got to be a part of that plan. Godly leaders acknowledge God's plans are bigger than their own. Are much greater Because more than anything, Joseph's leadership, listen, 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 Joseph's leadership ultimately points to the greatest leader of all time. 
a man whose life was defined by forged by fire, a life who suffered greatly. People didn't understand what what he was saying, didn't understand his thought process. People people, uh, lashed out at this man. He suffered greatly, even to the point of death on the cross. And his leadership could could be defined in this way. And it's simple. We read it in Scripture. It's this, who, be, who being in the very nature of God did not consider equality of God to be something we used as his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in an appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name That is above every name, the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Godly leaders lead like Jesus. They lead like Jesus. And ultimately the way that we live should cause others to pause. And take a little bit longer look at who Jesus is because of our leadership. My goal is not to, to, to point us to lead like Joseph. Like my goal is to point us to lead like Jesus. If we can look at Joseph's life and overlay it with Jesus' life, man, that's what I want to do because I believe that's the story that God is trying to tell throughout all of Scripture, that everything points to Jesus. Everything in the Old Testament points to Jesus. Everything in the New Testament points to Jesus. If that's what we can do, then we've done our job. You see, in order to lead like Jesus, you first need to know what it means to follow him. See, the the greatest leaders are always the best followers, aren't they? Following Jesus is about putting your trust in him. Um, To know that he afforded me the opportunity to have a relationship with him through his sacrifice. Following Jesus means being shaped by his character, by what he said, by what he did, by who he was. It means that, that my hands and my feet do as he did, and my mouth responds as he would respond. It's like being shaped by him and his character. So in conclusion to today's message, what is your response? Is our response to say... Man, I want to get a vision for my family for the future. I want to be an intentional parent. I want to have an intentional marriage. Is that our response? It is our response to say, look, I have opportunities in my workplace. It's not just a job. I'm seeing it as a job right now. I hear you, but, but I need to see it as an opportunity. And maybe you're in the position where you just, you just really hate your job. Maybe you're not there for just the job. Maybe you're there for the people that's at the job. That's so convicting. Or maybe it's simply to take a step in knowing who Jesus is for the first time today. That you're in the room right now and you're like, man, I'm really just trying to figure this out. I'm telling you, just pause, breathe for a second because I believe the Holy Spirit draws people to God. And it might be drawing you today to take that first step to saying, I want to say yes to a relationship with the living God. How do you move from just being a leadership role, whatever you call yourself, mom, dad, brother, sister, employer, employee, a student, moving from being just a leadership role where you're leading people in that A direction to more of a godly leadership role to you're moving people in God's direction? Will you pray with me? Father.
incredibly thankful for you today and this idea of godly leadership. God, help us to not miss it. Help us to to not overlook the, the process that you are sanctifying us in order for us to lead other people well to your throne and to Jesus. And God, I pray that we are a part of those great leaders in our history that, that had this dream of being great leaders, that had this dream of make, making a deep impact on the world, and they simply had one task, is to take steps of faith. God, help us to be courageous. God, thank you for loving us. Thank you for giving us Jesus. In your most precious name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.